Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Turtle Box Audio, All Hands Vodka, Costa Sunglasses, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Today we're doing something a little different on the podcast that we hope is helpful for those of you who either have dogs or are interested in getting dogs out on the water. Thanks to our mutual friends at Gunner Kennels, I was able to link up with Bob Owens of Lone Duck Dog Chronicles to put together, to my knowledge, what is the first podcast focused on helping train up boat dogs for fishing. Bob is a well-respected trainer who has an incredible story that you're going to get to hear, where he went from playing rugby in Ireland to selling printers to building a full-blown business focused on retrievers and training. In this podcast, Bob shares a ton of tips from selecting breeds to safety, and we hope that this helps you make more memories on the water with the dogs that you love. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose. I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 no one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up as you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Let's so look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey Bob, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been fun following you guys at Lone Duck. I think you guys are doing some really awesome stuff. And as a dog owner and podcaster, it's been really cool to just see you continue to develop what you guys are are really trying to do. And uh, it's I've I've enjoyed it. Thanks for making some time to sit down with me today and talk about skiff dogs. And I want to talk about how we best try to set up dogs and train dogs to enjoy time on the boat. And in turn, when they're well-trained, it allows us to enjoy having them on the boat because I think most people have had experiences where um, it was not enjoyable because the dogs were freaking out and not listening and a peaceful day on the water was really just your friend yelling at their dog the whole time. And that's not that's not really good for anyone. Um, but before we get into all of the mechanics and training of skiff dogs, I'd love for you just to share with the listeners about what you do at Lone Duck and kind of how you got into all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Hunter, thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. And I think it's a really cool idea for not only, you know, maybe some of your hunter or your listeners that hunt, um, but fishermen right fishermen and women that are taking their dogs out on their boat and how to make it a more enjoyable experience and if i can shed a little bit of light on that that'd be cool uh i've got some notes written down to have the experience be positive for both you and the dog and your family and your friends Mm. um i'm a professional retriever trainer i'm from syracuse new york we spend our winters in south carolina um near charleston and also Camden, South Carolina. So I'm a 36-year-old snowbird that takes my dogs and my client dogs (laughs) down and gets out of the frosty white north. Um, We compete across the country in hunt tests and field trials and, you know, train really great hunting dogs too. Uh, Mm. Part of our business is, like you had mentioned, a podcast. So, you know, every week my brother and I come on here and BS with other dog trainers and hunters and tell stories and, and trade tips and tricks to help people build their own duck dog or pheasant dog or quail dog or whatever you're asking. And now we're doing one on a skiff dog. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And just for my curiosity, what is, what does a day look like for somebody who works with, you know, training dogs? The best way I can describe it is it's a lifestyle, not a job. It's kind of like being a farmer. So you're up early, you know, dogs can't let themselves out. So at 
five thirty, six in the morning, you're rolling out of bed and letting the kennel dogs and your house dogs out to go to the bathroom and get them watered. I personally don't feed in the morning, but you know, they're, they're going out, they're having their break time, run around, do their thing. We load up and we get right to work. So probably by 7am, some morning chores, dogs have ran and had fun, loaded up, going to the field and begin their day. Um, young dogs go through vigorous obedience, which we're going to touch on, on this episode. Um, and so we're doing like yard work for obedience and then go out to a field or a pond and work on retriever training, duck dog marks. Uh, Mark is a bird that they see. We'll do blind retrieves, which is a bird that they don't see. And we stop them on a whistle and change directions. And we do that till five, six o'clock at night come back home, feed them, let them out again at 8.30 at night, go inside, crack a cold beer, and jump on a podcast till 10 o'clock at night and do it again <laughs> the next day. Yeah, that's uh, it's in a way it's similar to a lot of the guides I interview. You oh, know, yeah. You're outdoors a lot. It's, it's physical, um, and you have to pay a lot of attention to detail. Um, and how did, you, how did you get into that? How do you go from you know, being a high school student, trying to look at all your options in life to say, I think I'm going to train dogs for a living. That's a great question. So I went, I, I went to, I ended up going to college, right? I played sports in college. I got out of college and I played rugby over in Ireland, hmm. and, which was a phenomenal experience. If Have you ever been to Ireland? No, I have not. But my mom's side of the family is actually from Ireland and uh, my when she was in high school, she was the only one in her family who didn't move back to Ireland for about five to 10 years. So That's I have cool. some connections, but I've never been. It's an amazing place. And uh, so I had a blast there, got hurt and came home. And the first job I got was selling copiers, which <laughs> <laughs> obviously yeah, uh, clearly uh, it was 2009. So the market had crashed, you know, recession, everybody's freaking out. And, you know, there were just no jobs available. So I, I sold copiers. And then from there I sold business insurance and that's where I got the entrepreneurial spirit. And I, I would go, you know, I'm probably 25 now and I'm going to these meetings with business owners. And I always had this, I could never do it. I'm not smart enough. You know, I work mm -hmm. hard, but I'm not smart enough to, to be a business owner. And then you actually sit with a, a business owner and you're like, dang, he or she is just like me. You know, they work really mm -hmm. hard. They surround themselves with good people and they built this empire. And uh, so it motivated me. And I had a couple people that took me under their wing that were clients of the insurance business. And uh, it just motivated me to start Lone Duck. And so they said, what do you want to do with your life? If you could do anything, I'm like, I'd love to be in the outdoor industry. I'd love to work with dogs. I'd love to duck hunt. Um, I'd love to be in a weird way. I wanted to be like a persona in it. Like, like at that age, I thought it'd yeah. be super cool to be like the guy on TV with his dog going and duck hunting all over the country. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So these guys are like, yeah, go do it, man. I'm like, ah, well, I guess I'll start a t-shirt and hat company. Like everyone, you know, thinks it's easy <laughs> to become the next Orvis or Sims or, um, you know, Bass Pro Shops, I thought Lone Duck was going to be the premier gun dog aficionado and clothing for our community. And, um, I mean, we did okay, right? Like, I, I don't know. That's when Facebook kicked off and Facebook grew significantly, then Instagram grew significantly, and we sold a bunch of hats and T-shirts and e-collars and gear all over the country and world. But it definitely didn't pay the bills. So mm -hmm. cool job. I left there, sold oil and auto supplies. That was terrible. I drove a PT cruiser across central New York, but I only worked like five hours a day. And the rest of the day and into the evenings, I would grow this business. And when I would mm -hmm. take vacations, I would take my, my dog and myself and my trailer full of gear, and I would travel up and down the East Coast selling out of the back of my trailer. And I got to sleep on couches of these renowned, respected retriever trainers and honed my craft 
over the course of, you know, five years or something. And I got the opportunity at, well, I guess it wouldn't have been five years, but at like 28, I quit my day job, worked for a pro in South Carolina for a year, you know, and then came home and hung my shingle. But uh, the brand is still alive and well. It just is a segment of what we do. And Mm -hmm. we've got 25 dogs in the kennel right now. I got four sleeping downstairs waiting for me to let them back out. And, you know, we breed puppies. We we do it all. Buy and sell dogs. It's it's a fun way to make a living. It's a hard way to make a living. It's a lot of work. but uh, yeah, it's kind of my story, and and it all revolved around the bond that we share with our dog. You, know, you were quickly mm-hmm. telling me that you've got a four and a half month old wire hair, and you know already you're probably enjoying the process, enjoying the ride. And yeah, absolutely. And what's even cooler is what's to come. So training it, taking it out on the boat, taking it out and pointing quail, and then when you get to hunt next fall seeing all this hard work of that you and the dog put together and have it click on a on a quail and you actually shoot and hit the quail and the dog goes and gets it and brings it back to you you're gonna be like this is amazing and that's what we built the company around yeah man i think that i think that everybody who has a dog understands the bond that comes from that you know that's a special it's a special thing and it's why it's such a huge industry and why even though that they're not convenient and they can be expensive and they can be annoying and frustrating and all that people keep doing it again and again and again. Now you had mentioned that, um, you know, when you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do and you realized you kind of scratched off the list. I don't want to sell copiers the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Anyone <laughs> you, listening you quickly that scratch does that it. one. Yeah. Well, Hey, <laughs> but, um, but you had a connection to the outdoors. How how did you fall in love with the outdoors? Is, did you come from a family who hunted? Did you always have dogs? Where did that come from? Yes. Uh, so it's kind of even, that's a great and cool question. So my dad, he grew up trapping and fishing and hunting, and he kept a photo album. His photo albums anymore, but he had a photo album of his youth. And it was just filled with hunting and fishing. And so I would thumb through it at seven years old. Like, I want to be like my dad. And that's kind of where the love of of it came from. He became a police officer. And when he started seeing a lot of, you know, bad stuff, he didn't want to hunt anymore. So I grew Mm. up shooting. I grew up hiking. I grew up in nature and fishing. But we just didn't shoot anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, yeah. this allure of wanting to be like him pushed me to seek out friends that could take me. And so in college is where it really kind of blossomed. I had a few quote unquote mentors that taught me a lot of bad things and not well, like beer drinking, bad things, but a lot <laughs> of great things in the outdoors. And, and they had land that we could go to and took me duck hunting. And I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with the dog aspect of the duck hunting and I grew up with a family pet who was super naughty, run away, you know, jump on you, steal your winter gloves and run away and just a real jerk, but a great family member. And I, mm-hmm. I remember a specific moment as a kid that hit home. I'd see other people walk their dogs without a leash, take them on hikes and the dogs would stay with them. Um, you know, sit and lay down when they were told. And I'm like, man, someday when I get my own, I'm going to learn how to do that. And so I read every duck dog training book, watched every DVD. I spent more time doing that than reading college books. And I just loved it. And so my first paycheck, legit first paycheck selling copiers, I went and bought a yellow Labrador puppy. Hmm. Named him Buck. (laughs) man yeah that's that's you know as i've traveled around and done this show a common theme that i've found is that people will find these things that really excite them these little niches and corners of life like training dogs or guiding or running a shop or whatever photography and 
it kind of takes everything else off the table and they're willing to spend the money, sleep in the car, do the job they don't want while they save up money, et cetera, et cetera, to try to set their life up to be able to really have real happiness and to say, I'm not going to chase the money and say, man, you know, I want to have the job that is going to get me the nicest car and the biggest house is like, no, I found the thing that I love and now I'm going to orient and figure out how to do it. So that's a great story. Thanks. We could spend a whole podcast delving into that because, you know, there's a, you, you, you have a lot of interesting things from Ireland rugby to, you know, getting into your college years that I'd love to dive into, but I do want to focus in on how do we train dogs? Can you give us the essentials when we talk about a skiff dog a dog who's going to be on a small boat uh, although all this would really apply to any boat but we're just going to call it a, a skiff dog yep what are the essentials that 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 dog needs to have and how do people instill those into the dog yeah that's a that's cool man so i think one of the things that we need to think about when we pick a puppy is before the best case scenario is you don't have your dog yet listener and we need to figure out what your lifestyle looks like what your job looks like what your you know house or apartment and activity level is you know maybe you think you are super active but realistically you only go out and do stuff on sunday mornings um and you sit around and watch netflix all night long you know, that may not be a great home for a German short-haired pointer or a border collie. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Something with tons of energy and needs to have that energy burned and structure and discipline and stuff like that. So let's try and do some good research on a breed that fits your needs emotionally, physically, mentally, all that. So there's a host of them out there. And even, you know, think about maybe potentially rescuing. Um, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but that can pose problems. So I'm not saying do it or don't do it, but find a dog that's energy level and disposition meets you and your family's goals. And then you go and get that dog and it's a puppy. And now it's time to build your skiff dog. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the big things is socialization and that's a broad term. And it's probably overused, and so I'm going to define it a little bit. So socialization means that the dog is confident, outgoing, um, you know, not frightened easily, is happy. And what else? How else could we define it? Those are the main things. I want. You know, and I've noticed with good dogs, they're adaptable. So like, yeah. if you have a dog with my dog, you know, he was on boats before he was around guns, but yep. he was around weird, loud noises. Yes. You know, like, so it was when it, whenever he was around a new weird, loud noise, it was nothing. I mean, it was nothing super surprising to him. He, it wasn't like he hadn't been around something like that before. So some level of, I guess that's in confidence, but adaptability. Yeah, adaptability, exactly. And so we put them in these environments and we don't coddle them. So I I don't want to digress too much yet, but like one of the big things people do is treat their puppy like a human baby. Mm -hmm. And let's, I'll I'll use an analogy. I've got a little nephew and he's like three years old, four, eh, probably four. I should, I don't even know. He's sitting on my lap and he's nervous to meet you. And I'm like, Hey buddy, it's my friend Hunter. You know, I'm rubbing him on the back. I'm like, you need, you know, look him in the eye, shake his hand. And he's not really wanting to. So I'm going to encourage him. I'm rubbing his back. I'm talking to him gently and I'm coaching him into feeling more confident to meet you. That's a mm-hmm. human thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Let's take a nervous dog and let's rub it and say, oh, he's our friend. You don't have to be nervous of him. Come here and force the puppy to go closer to you and make it, pet, you know, make it so that you can pet it and all this stuff. And this puppy's just wigging out. But you're like petting it and stroking it, trying to encourage it. Now, everybody like close your eyes and envision this. If I'm petting and stroking a dog, that's affection, that's praise. So you're in fact, praising fearfulness and you're encouraging Mm. fearfulness. 
So I'd rather mm. people almost ignore it and pretend that nothing is happening. And that dog's going to go, hey, my leader isn't nervous. He's not fearful. He's moving on with his day and they'll bounce out of it. Hmm. And they'll overcome it because you're not making a big deal out of it. They won't make a big deal out of it. Hmm. So when we think about being on the boat, if they're nervous about being in the boat and you're just petting them in that nervous state of mind, you're praising being nervous about the boat. Okay. So we want to ignore nerves. We want to ignore fearfulness. We want to build confidence. I'll use treats at a young age to build that confidence, but think about it. That treat is praise. So we want to praise and use treats to get them out of that state of mind and guide them out of that state of mind and encourage good behavior. So if that puppy's a little bit nervous and kind of sitting in the corner a little bit, but then it kind of gets the enthusiasm to stand up and move around a little bit, boom, reward that. Mm. Don't give them the treat in the corner, right? Mm. Um, so socialization, right? So I want to take them everywhere I go, in my truck, family parties, let them wander around the yard. And, and again, I'm treat training. So if they're getting a little bit further away from me, I'm whistling, call them to me, they get rewarded with the treat. I'm teaching them sit, I'm teaching them lay down, I'm teaching them place command. And that's going to come in big with the skiff place or kennel. I say kennel. It means get into or onto something, but it's the same as place. Go to a dog bed and stay there. Have a spot where they know that if they're on that, they're good. And that's going to be big on the boat as well. When you're ripping and the waves are ripping um, and you're trying to get home to beat the thunderstorm, that dog needs to be in a safe place. Um. So we've got this like eight to five month old puppy. I'm putting it in the boat and doing a little treat training and place training and teaching it how to maneuver in the boat while the boat is on land or docked. So it's not moving. Mm -hmm. It's not shaking. It's not bouncing. It's not windy. We don't have music ripping. It's in a controlled environment and I can move the puppy up and down the boat using treats to create a positive experience. So you're going to start in your yard, possibly, with the boat on you know, the, the trailer, and then you're going to take it to the dock, and you're going to do that same kind of reps of this, this is all cool, you're comfortable, you're good, it's kind of rocking a little bit. Then we fire up the boat, cool, confident, we're moving, he hears the noise of the engine crank, we're just getting the dog to move through the boat, feeling good about itself, now we're going to start driving the boat. I'm also probably going to pick a more calm day. I want the dog, the young dog, to have positive experiences. So meeting people, meeting other dogs, new environments, and your boat has to be a positive experience to continuously mm -hmm. build that confidence and boldness and feel good about themselves. Mm. With that being said, let's say we've got this well-socialized, well-acclimated, very confident, bold young dog. Now it's time to actually rein that sucker in a little bit and create some rules and boundaries and limitations to have it be a, a functioning member in society, in your home, and on your boat because the boat can be dangerous. So walking nice on lead, we, we the heel command. So walk nicely at my side. I'm going to use a leash and a treat, and I'm going to lure and guide them to where this is the spot. If you're in the spot, you're getting rewarded. Then as they get a little bit older, I'm going to use leash corrections. You know, if they're out of heel, I'm going to pop the lead and give a little correction. They get back in heel. I'm going to say, good dog. And I'm going to walk back and forth and create that nice heel. Again, we're at, we're taking our dog to the boat. We get out of our truck and we walk down the dock to get into our boat. I don't want that dog running to and fro jumping on other people's boats, jumping on other people, going and greeting everyone. We want them under control and an, a, a nice member of society, right? So, mm -hmm. so heal. Come or hear. You know, recall. Call them to you. Again, as a puppy, we're using a lot of treats. Um, I'm big on the e-collar. So that e-collar is like an, a shock collar would be the layman's terms. That is a great tool to increase your dog's skill level and control with the dog in 
any environment and it's like having an invisible leash on the dog. Mm -hmm. So if you're at the boat ramp or you're out at a park or you're on a hike, I've got control to call the dog to me. If I have to use a little stimulation, it's as if I'm tugging the invisible leash on the dog to come back to me. You reward them when they get back to you. Mm. The sit down and place command are huge, especially on the boat. So sit until told otherwise, lay down until told otherwise, and place until told otherwise. And we build it. So it might be three seconds when they're a young dog into 20 seconds, into five minutes, into I can sit down and eat my entire meal at the dinner table, and that dog will lay down over there and still be a part of the family, but not under my feet or all over the place. Mm. On the boat, that's going to be huge. So one of the, I guess I'm going to kind of digress a little bit on this, but safety on the boat is going to be like a main concern for me. And I have a friend yeah. who lost a dog from a boating accident. Mm. So everybody loves the picture of the dog on the bow, like Titanic, and its ears are flapping in the wind. And it's a super cool picture moment. You're riding off into the sunset. Well, you hit a wave or something happens and the dog flips over top of the bow. Yeah. I've got him. Mm. That's not a place for a dog. Accidents can happen. So when we're ripping, like if, if they're on the bow and you're just like chilling or fishing, cool. When we're in movement, the dog should be down in the hall, hanging out laying down, yeah. sitting down, or have a spot that they can sit and be sheltered, and they don't, it's, it's stay, right? So sit down in yeah. kennel. I don't say stay. It's redundant. But if I tell you sit or lay down right here next to, like, under my feet as I'm driving the boat, that's where you stay. Um, and so obedience is really important. But having a safe spot for the dog when you're rolling is is probably the most important part of skiff etiquette and safety for you and your dog so that mm -hmm. the the one in one thousand or one in ten thousand chance that the dog loses its balance tips over or sees a seagull and tries to jump and grab it you know yeah we're up the creek without a paddle um so that's a yeah, huge one that's... man yeah i think that's even when i was in high school i remember being on a boat in a lab jumped out and, you know, he didn't get propped, but it was a scary moment. And we're not even sure it was a good dog. We're not even sure exactly if he saw something or what, what happened. And I think that, you know, we call it bow riding, but whether it's with people or animals, anything important shouldn't be sitting on the bow when you're, when you're going under motor like that. Yeah. And, um, a quick question. So let's say that somebody's listening to this and they have their, you know, the treat. So you're rewarding the positive behavior, but you're putting your dog down. You're, you're telling him sit and he's right next to you as you ride. And then he moves. What's the best way to correct that? Is there a negative reinforcement or do you just put him back down and sit and it's an awesome keep, question. Keep doing it. Yeah. So I would, the first, I don't know, maybe even summer that you're with your dog and it's its first summer on the boat. I'm going to let it drag around what I call a dollar store leash. It's cheapo. It's not big. It's like the little tiny skinny lightweight four foot snap lead clips to their collar. And so if they stand up or try to start walking away while you're riding, you've got four feet to grab that rope, give it a little tug. Mm -hmm. No, come here, lay down. Good dog. Or you can stand on it or tie it. Tying it might be a little sketchy i guess if you were to ever get in a boating accident but I, again we're talking worst case scenarios so yeah that little leash is going to give you control on the boat to help show the dog and one of the main things with dog training you don't want to give a command that you can't reinforce so if i tell it no come here sit lay down and it just keeps doing whatever it feels like my commands have become watered down so I want to mm -hmm. have a little bit of that control to say, no, come here. Oh, I've got the leash. Tug, tug, tug. And now the dog comes to me, pet him. Good dog. Lay down. Good dog. Keep driving. Um, so a four-foot leash on the dog, that first several trips out on the boat will be a huge save, you know, save 
for you yeah. and everybody else on the boat with you. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's really helpful. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like, for me, that's kind of the general safety things that I could think of off the top of my head is don't let them ride on the bow, have good obedience so that they're under control on the boat and know their spot on the boat. And you just, dogs understand repetition. So the more reps mm-hmm. you do, which would be important if you had your boat, you know, on the trailer in your yard, practice those reps in the yard, take it out. When you let it go potty in the morning, boom, boom, boom. Hey, throw it in the boat, make it lay down where it belongs. Do it five, 10 times. All right, let's go back inside. Cool. You do that for two weeks straight. That dog's going to know where it belongs on the boat. Now you go to the dock, boom. You know, it's just gonna, it's muscle memory, it's repetition. And they get that. Yeah. Um, One of the things I've been doing with my dog that I would encourage people to do too, that's been helpful is like, I won't take them out every time that I go fishing, depending on who I'm fishing with. And so I would be like, Hey Bob, is it cool if I bring my dog and working with him? That way I don't begin to feel self-conscious for giving the dog so much attention mm-hmm. because he's at six months now and he's a smart dog and he's, he's doing well, but he still requires a oh. lot of attention because he's a six month wire hair pointer. Yeah. And you know, he, and so I don't want to be on a boat with somebody who's going to be annoyed that I am training my dog. And so it's a you great know, the point. first time. You know, the first time you take them out, take them out with somebody that is either take them out alone or take them out with somebody who's going to be understanding of that. Because I've seen that happen with kids and with dogs where it's like the self-consciousness, you you start to let stuff slide because you don't want to be the guy or the girl who is constantly correcting behavior, even though that's actually what needs to be done. So if you're trying to do a, yeah, you're trying to do a serious, the first redfish trip I ever took my dog on, we had a tailing redfish he was sleeping on the gunnel and you know, he was doing a 15 minute little dog nap and just decided now's a great time for me to get up and spook the fish. And it's like <laughs> me and me and my buddy laughed at it. We're just like, of course he would wake up right now. And right. that's okay. But you know, they're gonna, I think sometimes people put their dogs in situations where it's like, you shouldn't have brought them because you knew that you would get frustrated if you had to work with them. And that's the whole reason you brought them out here. So that's, that's a great, to me, point. that's, that's important too. So we talk about that in the duck hunting s- space as well. Like when I've got a new dog going hunting, I don't take my gun. I just focus on handling the dog hmm. and te- all the things that I've taught it in its life so far now is the moment of truth. And I've got to make sure that the dog maintains everything I taught and if I'm trying and worrying about catching a fish or shooting a duck, I'm not focused on the dog. And so, yeah, the first, you know, fishing trip or three, leave your rod at home, let your buddy go fish, and you just kick back, have a cold beer ski, and and you and your dog hang out. And that way, every time, dude, I was thinking about it, every time I'd cast a rod, I guarantee mm. you one of my dogs would think I'm throwing it something for it to go get. So it's perked sure, up. It's, yeah. it's wanting to jump out, all these things no i'm going to teach it that hey this is not the time and place for that Mm -hmm. you have to relax here so that's a a really good one um another thing that i think people probably forget is the weather right like how hot it can Mm be dehydration sun exposure heat exhaustion um you know dogs shouldn't drink salt water um Mm. i duck hunted in the chesapeake bay and i found out why it's called diarrhea and i think dogs (laughs) who like live around the ocean and drink a little bit here and there are good but she was pounding salt water and it was like terrible 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 yeah so you know make sure you've got ample water for the dog make sure you've got a place that they can get out of the sun and in the shade to stay cool Maybe also think about if you're going on like a five, six hour fishing trip, where am I going to, you know, get the boat to the, to where the dog can get out and go to the bathroom and burn a little bit of energy and, and just unleash the fury for a few minutes. And that's where you guys maybe have lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so keep those things in mind. It's probably the same as if you were to take kids, it's like, how are we going to make them comfortable, keep them safe? And have those things in mind. 
Talk to me really quick about my dog. I feel like me and my wife joke. He, he, he lives under the assumption he'll never drink water again. Like he is just, <laughs> and he has that beard, so it's gonna get everywhere. Uh-huh. And but you know, how do you tell if your dog really needs water? How do you tell if your dog's starting to show signs of overheating or dehydration? Sure. Um, I, I've got a five and a half month old puppy right now too. And that sucker is like a camel. He can drink 20 gallons and then he'll have to pee every five minutes. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm with you on that. The, the signs of heat exhaustion or, or heat stroke would be the dog is panting uncontrollably. Tongue is hanging out mm-hmm. to the side of the mouth. Mouth is gaping wide open. And as most people know, dogs don't perspire. So how they relieve themselves is by panting. So, you know, heavy, heavy panting that just seems absolutely uncontrollable. If they get wobbly, if they get disoriented, if they vomit, um, diarrhea, those are things that are like, oh my gosh, we got to go now. Places on the dog's body to cool them off safely would be like putting cold, cool, cold water on their belly and pads of their feet will help bring their body temperature down. Mm. What what you don't want to do is let's say you've got your you know cooler full of ice and drinks and you just take ice and do it or put them get them to like somehow in an ice bath that will constrict their blood veins and they can tip it type like sort of stroke out so you want to mm-hmm. cool them down slowly you know maybe you got to kind of be careful because depending on where you are in the country the water might be 80, 90 degrees. So water in the, you know, estuary that you're fishing may actually not cool them off. The evaporation of that water will help cool them, but you just want to like a little bit of water on their belly, keep them drinking a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Don't let them pound it or else they'll vomit. Um, Do you ever do uh, rubbing alcohol? I heard somebody once say that they keep some rubbing alcohol and they'll rub that on their belly and it evaporates quicker. Interesting. I have not done that, but that makes sense. Um, I've just done cool water. Mm-hmm. Like, don't take your ice chunk thing and put it on your dog's yeah. stomach. Just take that cool water, maybe take a wet rag of that cool water and put it on their stomach and cool their pads off, you know, pet their head and all that stuff with the cool water rolling over top of them and just get them in the shade get them out of the situation, get them in an air conditioned truck. No fish is worth your dog dying after. Um, yeah. so be, be cautious. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. I just wanted to dive into that for a moment. Just, um, keeping ample water on the boat. What, if you were going to go out for a half day and it was as hot as you could imagine, what, what would you recommend amount of water just to make sure you have for your, for your dog? I think a gallon, but it's probably over overdoing it, mm-hmm. but just, mm-hmm. you know, throw a, a gallon jug of water in there for the dog and every hour throw them a little bowl of, of water to wet their whistle. And, you know, again, it's one of those things like the more water you give them, the more they're going to have to pee. So, and especially your dog's young, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to hold his bladder maybe the whole time. So have a place for them to, to do their thing, but I'd rather stop, three times on a five hour trip to let him pee, but make sure that he's hydrated and feeling good about Mm -hmm. himself and having fun. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of other things on the boat, man. I got a couple questions kind of that might, that might help and you can go down rabbit holes as, as you want. Um, as I think about, uh, you know, like if you were quail hunting or pheasant hunting, you would have a, a med kit. Would Is there anything specific that you would bring on a boat other than just your standard med kit? Because there's a lot of things that could cut the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what stuff would you bring there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, possible. I mean, at least when I was fishing in Charleston, some of those oyster beds would slice a dog's foot wide open. So mm-hmm. be, be cautious of the environment, the dog, like when it is time to do a bathroom break, what is the environment going to be like for them to get out and terrorize, you know, around 
um, gauze pads, neosporin, like bacitracin kind of like ointment, um, mm -hmm. and gauze pads would, would help get you to the vet and be okay. Uh, da, 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 da. possibly there's something you can buy at track supply called Vetracin. And that's like a antimicrobial spray that you could spray on a wound as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe they even just get an abrasion or something like that, that, or, you know, dogs get hot spots. A lot of the wire hairs I've had in training will get little hot spots from licking and whatnot. That's a good one for your mm -hmm. little tool belt for you. Um, you know, some of the things, think about just your tackle box, dude. Like, you've already got pliers and, you know, mm. scissors and stuff like that to cut or pull things out that could have poked him, like a fish hook or a shell in his pad. Um, I'm not super scared of injuries like that like maybe some people would. So I wouldn't go overboard mm -hmm. with having like a full-blown med kit for the dog. I think yeah. if you have those kind of things, forceps to grip and pull something out of its paw or whatever, something to spray it down and clean it, and then an yeah. ointment and gauze, and then go to the vet. Mm -hmm. Maybe no, something that's, to that's flush helpful. its eyes out. You know, like an eye saline style, flush its eyes out if it gets a stick. That's another thing for mm -hmm. the hunting world that we'll have. So not exactly sure what they would do on the boat or running around the marsh, but you never know. Yeah. Well, they could, there's all, they could, there's all sorts of things they could hit their eye on or whatever. Um, a, a question to you with, you know, me. So a lot of what I've noticed is there's a decent bit of people who me and you were joking about this before the podcast. It's like, I have a German wire haired, which is a super high energy dog. And, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people pick their dogs because it's an iconic breed or they do want to hunt it a little bit or they like the way it looks or whatever. And they don't make the decision about what's really the best dog to be on a 17 foot skiff, you know, which is probably something not super cool. But <laughs> <laughs> in, in the hunting world, it's like, you know, uh, my mom has a Havanese, you know, and that dog is like really small and really chill. But, sure. you know, um, my dog's really high energy. And yeah. so what, what would be tips to try to help higher high energy dogs enjoy a few hours on the boat where they really can't burn much outside of the, would you, I guess I can dive in a little bit. Would you do try to wear them out before, like yeah. just try to run them or do some retrieves and what are some things you could do to help with high energy dogs on the boat? Yeah, I think that's exactly the rabbit hole I was going to dive into is a, you're trying to pick the breed that fits your family and lifestyle and goal. So maybe it is a smaller sized breed that works, but smaller size doesn't necessarily mean that it's less energy. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that I would do would be exercise. And that exercise is mental and physical energy mm -hmm. burned. So like your example of throwing retrieves, technically that's just physical energy. Mm -hmm. Now how we train where they've got to mentally think about how to get in the water or how to maneuver the hay bales in the field or whatever, that's mental energy. But if you're just in your backyard throwing 20 tennis balls, that's just exercise. So it's brain stays in a high energy state, but his body's a little bit more tired. So mm -hmm. mental and physical energy release is important. So pack walk. A pack walk is you taking a long walk with the dog at heel. So think about a wolf pack. The leader is leading the pack. The follower, you know, crew is at its side or behind them. And you cruise at a decent clip and you're moving. That is going to burn mental and physical energy for the dog. You know, mm -hmm. throwing retrieves is still a good idea. Letting it, letting it run around is still a good idea. But, I mean, dude, your dog is bred to run 20 miles in the uplands. Mm -hmm. Your 20-minute walk or run is going to take the edge off, but it's still 
probably not enough. So mm-hmm. think about things that you can do maybe that day in preparation of your fishing trip. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to do some retrieves in the backyard. I'm going to go take a good walk. I'm going to let them get some water. And then when I get to the boat ramp, I'm going to do a little bit of obedience, you know, maybe 10 minutes while the boat's getting put in just 10 minutes of obedience of heel, sit, heel, sit down, walk away from the dog, reward mm-hmm. the dog with like going to the bathroom again and it can run around for a second, get it back under control, heel, heel all the way to the boat. And now we're under control, setting the tone of being under control on the boat by being under control in the parking lot or in the, you know, field next to the parking lot, whatever. So mental mm-hmm. and physical energy being burned will help aid the high energy dog on that boat. Mm. And no, that's, that's, you, real, you know, that's helpful. some of the, you know, one of the things too, like, dude, your boat isn't the, isn't supposed to be the, how do I, I it's not supposed to be the fun space. Mm-hmm. Does that make so the fun space means they can be a dog, they can do whatever they want, they can go in the woods. Yeah, and that's the run. yard. Yeah, that's the that's yard. The, that's yeah. the field. That's the soccer field down the road. That's outside going to the bathroom. That's fun. In my house, we don't play tug of war in the house. We they don't like. I've got four of them sleeping downstairs. It's it's not the zone for chaos, and you mm. you own what you condone. So if you allow your home to be where like zoomies are cute and funny, but it's chaos or they bounce around every piece of furniture and grab a toy and bounce around the furniture and then grab a shoe and then bounce around the furniture. That's, that's chaos. If you allow that on your boat as well, it's going to be chaos. And so Hmm. if you have it be, I still want them to have fun. I still want them to be confident. I still want them to be enjoying the experience, but I want them to be under control. So even at six months old, I'm not going to allow, you know, ping ponging around the boat. It's unsafe and it's not fun to be around for you or your co-fisherman. So, yeah. So just have a little bit of discipline and discipline doesn't mean being tough on the dog. It just means structure. Mm -hmm. And then that structure becomes habit. And that habit becomes a lifelong of fun taking your dog in the boat and they enjoy it and they look forward mm-hmm. to it. But that's not the place for them to be crazy. Yeah. No, that's, that's really helpful. I got a fun one here that I know I kind of threw your way earlier, but I've seen a few dogs over the years that have been trained to wipe their feet. And... <laughs> You know, some people like to keep clean boats. You're at the boat ramp. You're letting your dog run around. He's getting his paws all dirty. How would you go about training a dog to wipe their feet on a towel? Because it's pretty common for people to put a towel down before the humans get on the boat and they wipe their feet so you don't have footprint. You know, you're sitting on the boat for one minute and you have a thousand footprints around the boat. Yeah. How would you go about teaching a dog something like that that's, you know, a little bit more, it well, at least seems a little bit more advanced? Yeah. Uh, I don't really know. So I, I teach my puppies that I can poke and pull and prod everything on them. Ears, toes, Mm -hmm. toenails, tail, fur. And so like, I don't play rough with them in essence, but I'm just like, as they're a baby and, and developing, I'm doing all these things to them. So if I go to grab my towel that we just wiped our feet on and I pick his paw up and clean it off and then put it down and I grab the other one mm-hmm. and pick it up. They're just so well conditioned to being touched like that, that they're not wriggling mm-hmm. to get away. They're not fighting me. I mean, you could, in essence, you could tell them sit, shake. They hand me their paw for shake and I clean that paw, off, put it down, shake, mm-hmm. clean that paw. Off. All right, stand up or whatever. Dog stands up, grab the back paw, clean it off, clean it off, put him in the boat. So I don't have a a clever way of teaching it to like scrape its own paws against the towel. That would be cool if I did. I'm not, I guess I'm not that good of a dog trainer, but I think, (laughs) I think having the dog be well conditioned to being poked and prodded and picked up and moved around Mm -hmm. and touched in these places to where they don't freak out or get nervous or have anything, any bad juju around it, you're able to clean them off real quick and put them back in the boat. I also saw way back in the day, there was like an infomercial paw scrubby thing where 
it almost looked like a donut and you'd put water and maybe like soap in it and you'd stick the dog's foot in the donut hole and it had like little scrubbies and you just would like move it around and shake it around and it'd come mm -hmm. out a little bit wet, but all the mud and grime would be gone. So maybe if you're super concerned about it, that would be a Google dog foot scrubber thingy. <laughs> Available at Lone Duck. I was going to say, and I want 10% suckers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great, man. Well, hey, I I think this is all really great, just kind of basics to get into, and I, I really appreciate the time. What what would be your encouragement for people who want to get more serious about it? How do they follow you, and what would be some recommendate, recommendations with, with trying to learn more about training? Man, I appreciate it very much. Um, my encouragement is you got the dog to enjoy you got the dog to be a part of your family and you got the dog to be a part of the memories that you're going to make in the field, on the boat and in your home with your family. So the more you do with that dog, the better it'll be and the more enjoyment you'll get from it. And mm -hmm. also a lot of hard work from eight weeks to one year is an investment that's going to last 13 or 14 or more years. So take the mm. time and research the right breed Do the time to learn more about obedience and having quote unquote control of your dog so that they're enjoyable to be around for you and others. And then seriously take them everywhere you go and have them behave mm. in those environments and have fun showing them how to do that. Um, mm -hmm. as far as if you guys enjoyed the podcast and want to listen to more of my shenanigans, we have a podcast called Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. So if you're a, a duck hunter, a, a quail hunter, a pheasant hunter, um, or even just want to learn a little bit more, that's where you can listen to the podcast. Instagram's at Lone Duck. Um, you can find a, a lot of this stuff that we talked about, like the place command, um, heel work you know, walking nicely on lead and all that stuff. We've got a ton of stuff on YouTube as well. So, you know, feel free to reach out, you know, on Instagram via DMs. I definitely don't check my emails, so <laughs> that won't work. But anywhere else you can find me, I'm happy to answer questions for you and, and hopefully help you and your dog have a great relationship in the adventures to come. Well, I really appreciate the time. I enjoy the podcast as a dog owner and, uh, somebody who I, I like hearing about just kind of some of the different theory behind dog training. So I really enjoy it. I mean, I appreciate the time together and I look forward to doing this again. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I'm really excited uh, for you and your puppy's adventures fishing and in the quail woods. So keep me posting. If there's anything I can do to help you and your dog, I'm in, man. 